0: weirdos
1: welcome all you weirdos Everyone facing trial over vague charges in paris and who hasn't been there and everyone who missed those dream sequences and ms marvel it is time for the landmark 80th episode of the weird dose of x the mutant member of your weird science podcast family i am your no longer contagious host jason once again, broadcasting from the Wrong Turn Studios, high atop Stately Weird Science Tower. And here with me today from inside a blob of lookied up amber is my pal Ruben. Hey, Ruben, how the heck are you today? Ruben is muted.
0: Not just muted, I was double muted. Both on my. Double uh,
1: muted. Uh, double secret muted, perhaps. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, I'm doing all right. I, I'm going to be a little bit distracted on this episode. I've got a neighbor who's chopping down a tree, and so. Uh, apologize to the sound quality for this one. You might hear occasional chainsaws and other tree destruction items.
1: <laughs> Maybe that's just what Orcus is doing to uh, to Krakoa, because I, I hear they're they're taking over the place. So perhaps that's just adding some ambiance to the, the podcast itself. We add that in post even. So
0: I wasn't paying attention to the Miss Marvel dream sequences. I'm curious what you're foreshadowing.
1: Well, I mean, the whole opening of our one book today has a dream sequence again. I know everyone likes loves lyrics. <laughs>
0: Well, today today at least sort of mm-hmm. makes sense, at least in theory.
1: I, I, I guess. We'll complain about that later, because today we have just the one X book to discuss. It is a biggie. It is Fothox Day. And today we will tell you fine folks all about Fall of the House of X number one. And uh, as a bonus after that, we're going to chat a little bit about God's issues numbers two and three. But, but first, just a brief news item that people might want to know about, uh, Dennis Camp who is the writer of Vault Babies, a.k.a. Children of the Vault, he's going to be writing a book called The Ultimates, which will be the fourth book set in the new Ultimate Universe, a.k.a. Earth 6160. And uh, from the small amount of preview art released so far, it looks like this book might be picking up on that Iron Lad story that Hickman started in Ultimate Invasion. So, uh, Ruben, you looking forward to seeing that story come back again?
0: Absolutely, yeah. I was excited for uh, the next sentence Camp story because i liked the children's story so much and i have been i guess uh, picking up the ultimate universe as sort of a second or third interest of mine at marvel and so yeah let's do it i'll be yeah, it's nice to see it.
1: those those two interests kind of cross over a, a good writer picking up a, a good story it, it should be fun uh but what we're going to talk about today is uh fall of the house of action in general i think i want to start off by talking about Like the end of this Krokoan era in general. So, what is it do we think we want from this book? What do we expect? I mean, I expect by the end of this book, Orcus is going to be defeated, right? Probably exposed, maybe humiliated before humanity, maybe revealed as being the machines manipulating them behind the scenes. Uh, And I think that while the mutants are going to win, they're going to have to win in such a way that kind of resets them, right? Knocks them off their high perch. They're not going to be in charge of a, a nation island anymore. They're not going to be resurrecting each other left and right anymore. Is that is that kind of where we think this has to end up?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what you expect for a reset. You can take that away. I mean, I think the big element is going to be kind of a... I don't know about the, the island state kind of concept going away because they've had you know Genosha before, and it wouldn't shock me if that continued in some respect, but I do think that they're going to break up the, like, Kumbaya everybody is you know rowing in the same direction five to be villains,
1: that kind of thing. Yeah,
0: and I don't know that everyone's gonna be adversarial anymore. I'd be kinda sad if that was the case. I'd hope that some characters are at least neutral from this point forward, but uh I definitely think that there will be, you know, more of a segregation of the mutant agendas than there has been recently.
1: Do we think there's going to be a Moira style reset? Maybe somehow manipulate her ability to reset things to not all the way back to the beginning, but maybe like back to pre hoxpox time? Is that a possibility? Or would that be just even lamer than than Marvel would do?
0: Yeah, I could see them doing that. I mean, they talked about her having eleven lives, right? Is this the eleventh life now that she's in the robot body?
1: See, that's what I, I had thought. I, I had like thought that Robo was 11th life. But I mean, you can interpret that any way you want. And, you know, Hickman set it up in one particular way. That doesn't mean that any of the current writers are, are bound by that.
0: Also, Destiny could have just been lying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> she does that. Can't trust Destiny. <laughs> uh, I, I do think that it may have been a mistake for the fall of X we've seen so far. It may have been a mistake having Orcus just lose everywhere, right? They've been made to be pretty lame so far. They lost an uncanny Spider-Man, uncanny Avengers, Iceman, Dark X-Men, Ms. Marvel, everywhere we see them, you know, taken down like schmucks. They don't really seem as scary as they did right after the gala. That was, wow, Orcus really has their crap together. But after that, they seem kind of like, you know, AIM or HYDRA or just another one of these bumbling organizations that are just ultimately not going to win.
0: Yeah. I agree with that perspective. They were set up as a, definitely a big bad, and they're not that
1: formidable at this point. I can see how in each individual miniseries, the the writer wants to show their character triumphing over their enemy, but when the enemy is always Orcus, I'm going to pause to cough a second, I can see in every individual miniseries that the writer wants to show their characters triumphing over their adversary, but when that adversary is always Orcus every time, I think cumulatively it really made the villain that we're now supposed to be the big villain here in the fall of x it just it kind of took the shine off i think that may have been an editorial mistake maybe maybe you tell somebody okay in this book yeah maybe maybe have orcas get the win over here in this mini series that would have been an actual surprise would have been a twist at the end to say oh our hero actually doesn't win
0: yeah well Orcus is a big organization as well i think they could have played it off as yes he beat up the the grunts or the like no name villain Orcus members but Nimrod, I have a hard time reconciling Nimrod in this first issue with the Nimrod we saw in Inferno, who was like soloing Yeah, Xavier we'll, we'll and, get to him in a second too, yeah.
1: So yeah, that's that's what we're looking forward to. And really what I hope we get is, I know we, we kind of have to end up, we have to get some kind of a reset done. I hope we get some fun twists and turns along the way. I hope we get some satisfying aha moments that I didn't see coming. Maybe some exciting uses. I, I think my problem is that all the cool stuff in the Hickman run, the Moira things and the big ideas. I'm really expecting most of that to happen in the Kieran Gillen side of things. And I don't know what is left to happen for Jerry Darken to do over here in fall. That's really going to be that exciting. Maybe he'll surprise us, but I, I kind of feel like all the good stuff has been pulled over to the other writer.
0: Yeah, that's fair, which is kind of funny since Darken was supposedly the show writer of this era, but they've almost got two showrunners.
1: It seems the official that one and
0: the unofficial one.
1: Well, I think that's enough of our, uh, you know, fooling around in the big picture. Let's dive into this particular issue, which is Fall of the House of X, Number One: The Trial of Cyclops, written by Jerry Duggan, art by Lucas Wernick, who formerly of Immortal more wax Men, colors by Brian Valenza, and design, of course, by Tom Muller and Jay Bowen. One more pause to cough. So this is a big book, right? It's the number one issue of a series that's going to wrap up this entire five-year era of the X books. It has a title that evokes one of the most important, most revolutionary X titles in decades, you know, House of X. And that said, uh, this book is a real disappointment, isn't it? I mean, am I crazy or is this kind of just thud? The first issue was
0: definitely a big thud and I... Was hoping, you know, I'd kind of heard rumors that people were not excited about this issue, and I was like, well, maybe they just don't get it right, or maybe they are crackpot or naysayers, and I'm going to read it and find. Maybe something they're
1: just sus reviewers in, in general, and maybe you can't trust them. But you know, sometimes they get it right.
0: Yeah, but it's it's poorly executed, um, which is strange because it's written by one of the guys that's the architect, right? You think he'd know what the background is leading into this, but it comes across as somebody who doesn't actually understand what happened in all those
1: miniseries. That's that's a clear impression I got to it. It feels very ordinary, like very generic versions of all the characters as if the writer didn't know what had been happening to them for the last six months.
0: Yeah. And this was supposed to be a huge wow thing, right? I, this feels like, you know, a throwaway issue of X-Men, honestly. Um, not worthy of, you know, miniseries
1: title name, but here we are. Yeah, I, I I wonder how this how this happened because it doesn't it just doesn't feel like the big event it should. So yeah, and and again, like none of the characters really start off where I thought we had left them off. Like Professor X isn't really doing what he should be doing. The X Men characters aren't really doing what they should be doing, even though that's a Jerry Duggan book. Stuff just kind of happens, and some of them in way, ways that really raise major red flags. But let's dive into the scene by scene, and maybe we can tease out. Some more more value than, than I originally found. So scene one, yeah, is a dream sequence. Uh, oh boy. Uh, which does give me that unpleasant Ms. Marvel kind of flashback feeling. Cyclops has a dream about being brought to trial in the Old West. He's being actually brought to trial in Paris. For some reason, he has a dream about being brought to trial by a cowboy. Other ex-characters make cameos in places that don't really seem to matter. Just give an excuse for Lucas Wernick to show destiny inside like a a coin-operated fortune teller box that kind of a thing uh dream cyclops is found guilty and sentenced to hang but he is levitated at the last moment by gene gray watching from the audience are we what are we supposed to take from this this is the again the opening scene in the opening issue of the should be the biggest x series in years and i don't really know what it's trying to tell me other than hey let's fill up some spaces with a dream sequence
0: (sighs) yeah Not even an intriguing dream sequence. It's like pretty on the nose, right? Like you're captured and you're dreaming about Jean rescuing you, but she's dead. Got it. (laughs)
1: Yeah, it it doesn't give us any insight into, oh, here's his state of mind. Here's some other things going on. Yeah, if if you're going to open up with some sort of a symbolic dream sequence, it it should be something surprising or have something that at the end we look back and say, oh, that's what was going on. And I guess maybe that'll happen, but I don't see a whole lot of places here for... you know that to link up but there we are so on to the real trial uh and a a question for you ruben what what is cyclops charged with
0: yeah this upsets me i mean i get that uh is not an attorney but it's not spelled out in a good way right like i felt like he should have asked somebody right it's like he just didn't do any research on how trials Authority
1: is carrying out the trial
0: yes there, there's even, just...
1: <laughs> even if it is just like a, an Orcas kangaroo court, then make that clear, right? Show us that it's all a sham, that it's all a show, but yeah, just kind of make it look like it's kind of a real trial, but yeah, it's just kind of poorly sketched out.
0: Yeah. I just struggle. Like, to your point, like, what is the claim, right? Like, if there's a law you violated, what? Like, it, it comes across as like, we just don't like you, so we're putting you on quote-unquote trial, right? Just to say nasty things about you.
1: Mm-hmm. and. <laughs> which is something bogus could do, of, but yeah, yeah. If if we're, if we're supposed to look at this trial, it's a complete sham. Then show us something behind the scenes of you know Mister Sinister talking to the judge and telling him what to do, or you know something that lets us know, oh yeah, it's a complete, it's a complete uh, you know bogus kind of a thing.
0: I don't so, he, I, it feels like he. It wasn't that hard, right? Like they say that the Krakowans poisoned medicine, right? So it seems like the claim could have very easily been some sort of like you know, mass murder, genocide Crime against thing.
1: humanity. Yeah, yeah. I whatever. mean, I don't yeah. know.
0: I'm not an expert. I'm sure Wikipedia in two seconds could answer this, but like there's probably whatever you charge war criminals with, right? Like that should have been the claim.
1: Yeah, make but. this happen at The Hague instead of Paris. Something to make it feel like there's some substance to it. So now we cut to a rescue attempt that also doesn't really have a lot of substance behind it. Again, we get we get an action scene, so we get an action scene, but there's no setup to it. We have the pair of Wolverine and Colossus uh, Colossus seems to have gotten over his whole guilt feelings about what it did under Chronicler's control,
0: and not just Colossus, right? Like the whole point th- it made a huge point in the last issue we just read about of X Force, where they were like Wolverine was the last one to agree not to kick him off the island, right? But it was like that indicates he's not trusting him, right? Like, and suddenly they're like best buddies, everything, water under the bridge. I mean, yeah, I can back, understand back to
1: like X Men initial status quo for kind of everybody here and yeah i I want to see that continuity from x-force
0: and i understand the idea of um wolverine getting over stuff but i need at least a nod to that right like like you could have a scene where it's like five seconds of like you know we have some stuff like wolverine saying some wolverine stuff where he's like you know we gotta have a conversation after this but you know we're in the middle of a war and I know you got our back or like you were I don't know whatever, right? You were being yeah, manipulated. Something instead of right. Having that dream,
1: instead of having that dream sequence, give us some setup so we know how the characters got from where they were to where they are. So here they're also they're they're flat out just murdering Orcas dudes with no compunction at all. Uh Duggan invokes the concept of the fastball special as a really early version of a mutant circuit, which I think we've heard that mentioned before. I don't think that's brand new. Yeah.
0: Well, I just thought this was kind of obvious, right? Like, I came to that conclusion as soon as they started talking about Mutant circuits. I was like, oh, yeah, I get it.
1: But I didn't really need
0: that spelled out. And it seems to take up a lot of page space just to make that point, right? I was like, you could have done that in, like, a page or a panel, yeah, right?
1: they This time they do a reverse fastball special with Colossus throwing a doomed Orcus dude directly into Path of Wolverine's Claws. Uh, Colossus calls it a pinata special, which is a really bad name. Uh, Wolverine wants to call it a screwball special because the guy got screwed, which is not not funny. Uh, <laughs> I think it's more of a, a wood chipper special, right? I mean, <laughs> speaking of what's going on around uh, your your house, there, it sounds like a wood chipper, right? You you feed the wood into the claws. Anyway, I I think the whole either whatever you want to call it, the Orgus guy is super super dead here. So I guess the mutants are giving up on any positive PR campaign to clear their names. Yeah, they're just going they're for the murder. That. Yep. Um, okay, off system. to uh, our prisoner again. Cyclops is visited by Dr. Alia Gregor and Omega Sentinel, who are probably the two most interesting personalities in Orcus, right? These are some cool characters. Dr. Gregor holds a grudge because her husband, uh, Captain Mendel, he was killed in an immune attack on the Orcus Forge way back in House of X number three. And his his personality was supposed to be in Nimrod, but that got cleared out for complicated and interesting reasons. Uh, Omega Sentinel, she's in secret cahoots with Nimrod to bring on the rule of the machines as soon as Orgus gets those pesky mutants out of the way. So these are some cool characters. Yeah, uh, this Dr. part Gre-
0: I, is the, maybe the one part I care about. <laughs> the only thing I'd say is, leading up to this, I think we should have seen Doctor Gregor at least once. And I, I feel like we've read pretty much everything, and I have not seen her since her husband, you know, was erased in favor of the Nimrod personality.
1: Yeah, she hasn't been around much. She's—I kind of, think she was part of like Inferno and in some of the major Orca's storylines, but not. She hasn't gotten the uh, the character development that I think would have been cool. And we're kind of out of time for her, so that's what's supposed to happen here. So Doctor Gregor is here to kind of rub it in Cyclops's face that the mutants have lost. Right? Uh, I'm, here's, here's my revenge on you. I'm not sure why Omega Sentinel is here, and and neither is Omega Sentinel. Did Doc- Does Dr. Gregor just want Omega Sentinel to see her moment of victory? Is that the point? Yeah, that's sort
0: of what they talk about. And I agree also, it's not spelled out very well, but...
1: Duggan seems to have her there so that Cyclops can direct a remark to her about, so what happens after the last mutant is dead? Which is interesting because we know that she has a plan for after the last mutant is dead, that you know she wants the machines to be the ultimate winners here. But does Cyclops know anything about that? I don't see how he could, but he seems to hear.
0: Yeah, I was reading a, a web article um by some is it was Jeremy White or something, some senior Marvel editor. Okay. And the interviewer had asked that exact question, like, what does what does uh Cyclops know about this? And I don't think the editor knew the answer. <laughs> so it was very hand wavy. <laughs> but they were basically saying, Well, we don't know what Moira told the Quiet Council and Jean was on the Quiet Council, so she may have learned some things and shared it with with uh, cyclops
1: well if if this whole secret i, I do want to see the secret plan from the machines happen somewhere right we need that plot point to come back up and be resolved one way or another so maybe cyclops has to be the one to get there but but also on on that that nine panel grid page page 13 uh on the right hand side there doesn't cyclops have one of the smuggest most punchable faces ever my god he looks like <laughs> a he, he looks like you just want to smack him and i know he's our hero but it's a weird choice by Lucas Wernick, who's a terrific artist, just to make, make Cyclops, our hero, just look like this jackass. don't know what's going on there.
0: You're not a uh, Scott Summers fan.
1: <laughs> I'm fine with Scott Summers, but he's like, he, he's like a frat boy. Looking, oh, maybe.
0: He's <laughs> just doing some character assassination. He's wearing
1: here. these solid gold-looking goggles, which I guess are there because I, I presume his eyes are still sewn shut underneath there like we saw in, I think, X-Men. So oh, I guess maybe they want to hide that from the public. So maybe that's why we've got these goggles over the top. Okay, so now we're off to Krakoa. And again, I guess Professor X found his way back here after the events of Immortal Number 18? Yeah, this is super awkward. I mean, wasn't he on Muir Island? And, yeah, he was on Muir you know, Island. And he should with still, still have – Yeah, is, 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 is that sinister ghost still in his brain? We should, we should know that one way or the other because either that's been resolved – Or he has a sinister, literal influence going on inside his brain. And that's important because here he throws, at least in this book, an out-of-nowhere temper tantrum, uh, says no more, no more, you know, sparky, sparky, sparky psychic stuff going on, and then he psychically calls Rasputin IV to come assist him right freaking now, which is awkward because she's kind of busy. What is what is Rasputin doing as she gets this psychic telephone call from Shuck from here?
0: Well, she's supposed to be springing Cyclops from the sham trial, but she decides to bail on that and just go see what Xavier needs.
1: Yeah. I I guess from her point of view, right, she comes from an alternate far future timeline. And to her, Charles Xavier is like, the X. He's like a, a hero out of legend. So I could I can understand why she would listen to him, but does Charles know that she's part of a rescue operation? Does she does he know about the rescue operation? Is there coordination between any of these teams? I mean he should.
0: It just makes me think of all these times when recently, you know, Cyclops used to be like the the, you know, first whatever student or the one that seemed to buy into Xavier the most and they had like a strong father-son relationship. And then I'd say maybe 10, 15 years ago, they started doing this, like, Charles is a dick thing, and Cyclops is the one calling him out on it. Even killed him once. And it, I just see this as like, is this another notch in that ladder,
1: or rung in that ladder? Because... Um, but either way, it's it's not set up at all. We don't know if he, if Charles knows he's screwing up this whole rescue operation, and he just has his own plan and doesn't care. Or if nobody bothered to say, hey, we're doing this thing, you should at least know about it so anyway wolverine and colossus are left completely out to dry because rasputin was supposed to be part of the whole phasing people you know phasing cyclops to freedom all that kind of stuff right so she doesn't even say you know dudes i'm out she just disappears and as a result wolverine gets horribly horribly burned by an orcus flamethrower right i know he can regenerate it all but that's got to be pretty unpleasant
0: I actually was talking to I think Jim at one point where I said, you know, having mutant healing factors got to be like the worst power to have.
1: In <laughs> right, because if you have a, if you have a healing factor, you're always going to get hurt every yeah, time. You're always very, the one getting very shot. Badly. Yes. You're always the one getting burned <laughs> over and over again.
0: It's like nice to have those powers, but damn, you always get like <laughs> most excruciating
1: pain. He must go through a lot of Tylenol. I mean, we're going to have a you know a whole a whole series where Wolverine is hooked on pain pills. That would be great. wouldn't it. And uh, so Nightcrawler is the one who comes to rescue him, which makes me think: How did Nightcrawler get here? Wasn't he just hanging out in New York City, you know, uh, making love to Silver Sable on top of a skyscraper? How did he? How did any of this get set up? How did this organi- This this rescue operation get organized? Who is in charge here? Are Sink and Laura still missing from the end of X Men number twenty nine? Since when are Professor X and Rasputin even working together? And it it feels like Jerry Duggan just doesn't care about any of that setup, and he hopes he hopes we don't care either. Uh, and unfortunately, I I, I kind of do when I want to know what the hell's going on.
0: Yeah, well, you're like me; you're invested, right? You want to think that like the comics you read the last three months actually mattered, right?
1: Yeah, I would hope that the people who write the comics and who you know, make a living writing the comics care at least as much as you know. I'm just some schmuck with a microphone in a basement. I I I shouldn't be the one most invested here. Yeah. <laughs> That's
0: pretty funny.
1: (laughs) So back inside the courthouse. um, (laughs) You're not getting
0: paid for this, right? Or maybe you are and we need to have a conversation.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll talk about that offline. (laughs) So back to the trial. Uh, The trial is in English, even though we're in Paris. Okay. Uh, Paris, I guess, was chosen just for the residence with the old trial of Magneto from the 1980s, uncanny number 200. So he wants a nod to that. And that's the only reason we're in Paris. We have no... We don't even get a shot of the Eiffel Tower or somebody carrying a baguette. There's no local color in here at all. You could just change the word Paris to any other city in the world and the book would be unchanged. Uh, The prosecution rests. What trials? We have no idea. Cyclops declines to offer defense. We know that his lawyer is She-Hulk. Is she even here? (laughs) At the trial. (laughs) Is she at the trial? (laughs) There's one lady in the background of one panel who might be him. I maybe mean, this hurt? was going to
0: be a losing case. She's not going to show up in
1: court. Yeah. Again, if it's a if it's a, a fake trial, kangaroo court, and he's not allowed to have representation, then you know, make that clear. Show us. Oh, this is really he's really getting screwed over here. But it's just she's just kind of maybe she's off to the side. We don't even know. The judge tells Cyclops that hey, if you don't offer defense, you will quote surely be found guilty in this capital case, which is not how trials work, right? Again, in the American system, we have no idea if this is some Napoleonic code, some international law, but you're not automatically found guilty if you choose not to defend yourself. It's, it's the other way around. And also, France doesn't have capital punishment. Uh, the whole, whole trial's a mess. Just, Jerry Duggan, tell us what the hell's going on here. Now, Cyclops gets convicted off panel. We don't even see that. The Orcus bigwigs get to celebrate. Omega Sentinel and Nimrod decide the perfect way to celebrate this verdict is for Nimrod to pop off and kill Krakoa. <laughs> why now? Why are those events connected? If if he could just do this at any time and could get past, you know, Charles Xavier was defending the island. Shaw had the whole thing. Shaw owns the island. Why did this happen why now? You would
0: keep, why would you keep the island operational? I, I can't tell you the answer to that. I, I just don't understand it.
1: It doesn't make a lot of sense. And isn't Krokoa in a coma or otherwise incapacitated. The lights had gone dark in his face, right?
0: It got better, man. Don't worry about
1: it. Again, <laughs> off-panel with no explanation. This is a big friggin' deal. This is the whole homeland of the, the mutant population. Yeah, it got lobotomized or something. Some some big deal thing happened to it. Yeah, for sure. I remember that. And that got, again, that, that got undone off-panel.
0: Jerry doesn't remember that, but I, I do.
1: So Nimrod <laughs> teleports to Krakoa, and uh, I'm just going to say what ha- says in my notes here. Uh, Nimrod gets immediately taken down like a bitch. which <laughs> is not how I usually speak on <laughs> this podcast, but there's no other way of saying it, right? <laughs> Krokoa spits amber at Nimrod. Gross. Yep. And drops him down to something kind of like the pits. But is it Nimrod's whole deal that he immediately adapts to any situation, any attack? Yes, and,
0: he, and that he has got a robot speed processing power, right? Right. He anything he can't works dodge a loogie. He can <laughs> You know, you can keep up the speed of Quicksilver, right? But like that's a fastball movie, I guess.
1: This whole scene is played for comedy. Yeah. Which this is Nimrod trying to murder Krokoa to death. This should not be a funny scene. So Krokoa then uproots itself from Krokoa and you almost hear the whoop whoop whoop, 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 whoop kind of sound effect <laughs> as it kinda of just, you know, gets the hell out of here and, and swims off. How can isn't Krakoa all of Krakoa? How can Krakoa leave Krakoa? What's what's even left?
0: Yeah, this was also in that interview that I read. The, the interviewer, I guess,
1: was, yeah, I think it's Jordan White. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I that's, that's what probably I right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And this was the A.I.P.T. comics interview. If anyone wants to go read it, but yeah, I was I was laughing at all these questions because I didn't think they're particularly hardball, right? But <laughs> yeah, they just is show not how
1: really bad. it doesn't. It's it's not sixty minutes here. They're usually giving softball questions to the the X team.
0: Anyways, uh, they were basically like, well, what is Krakoa? You know, I'm like, I think it's been pretty well spelled out that Krakoa is the whole fucking island. It's not this little, like, golem. And, I mean, we had the whole thing about the the Blight Swell, right? Under Krakoa, like, the heart, and that was what was gonna kill Krakoa. So, I didn't think that, like, this little head was, like, the nerve center
1: for it. Yeah, and if Krakoa can do this, if it can, like, bring its whole consciousness into one small part and then leave, that, that's a possibly a cool concept, but you need some sort of setup, some way to make us think that something big is happening, not just not just a, a funny magic loogie scene.
0: Uh, part of the thing that was crazy about Krakow, and we've always had this even from the very first appearance, was like, it's such a massive thing, right? Like, how do you fight an island? And it has the ability to raise like lots of these little golems on its body, but none of them are like the thing you defeat that takes everything else out.
1: And where do we think that uh, Cypher is? Where's Doug? Is he part of the Krakoa that ran away? Or is Cypher still (laughs) in the island that's left behind? Does Duggan know about that? (laughs) It doesn't seem like he does, right? (laughs) I mean, I want to assume that he knows his stuff, but what's put on panel, it feels like somebody was given the assignment to write the story and only had like 15 minutes to browse through the last five years of X-Men comics, like read through the wiki, but he should he should know a lot more than we do here. And it, it just doesn't feel like there's a, a plan here. Okay, well, next. I
0: mean, he was focused on that Uncanny Avengers, man. That was a really to write deep that Had uh, yeah. to
1: write that Captain America speech. That's what took <laughs> all his time. So uh, all, speaking of speeches, uh, now we have Dr. Gregor making one of those While You Slept, The World Changed speeches, which, I mean, the first time we had that speech, uh, Magneto made that speech, was super cool. And it felt like, wow, big things were happening. It feels like they've gone back to that well too many times, right? They've just kind of taken the shine off it. Uh, Dr. Greger calls Krakoa an invasive alien species, uh, which is not what invasive species means. But I mean, it's not like we accept the Orca's view of things anyway. But Dr. Greger says Krakoa will be eradicated, and here's supposed. To, it seems like it's supposed to be brand new mutants who don't leave the planet, Ruben. They're going to be liquidated. Wasn't that already the case for the past however many months since the gala? Why is this being announced like it's a new thing?
0: Well, who knows? I mean, they didn't. (laughs) They also told us that if if they spotted any mutants on Earth, or was it just X-Men, regardless, uh, if they spotted any of them, they would kill a bunch of humans, right? That happened? No, never happened. I don't know.
1: Empty threats. Again, Orcas seeming kind of like losers. They got the trial of Cyclops to work only because <laughs> Rasputin got called away by Chuck. That's the only reason the trial wasn't complete really shambles. Uh, Nimrod, who's supposed to be the big rad, he gets made to look like a, a loser by Krakoa. So yeah, I don't, I don't feel the threat here. Okay, we're almost done. We need to check in with the mutants one more time. Uh, the failed Cyclops rescue team seems to have made up of, besides Rasputin, it was Rogue, Gambit, Kitty, Logan, Colossus, and Nightcrawler. So characters from... All over the map as far as Fall of X is concerned. I don't know how they got together. They're flying in the Blackbird jet.
0: Can I I pause for a second about this rescue attempt? Sure. Tell me what you got. As soon as you have Nightcrawler as part of a team, your rescue attempt should just be bamf in, grab Cyclops, (laughs) bamf out. That's not You'd that think difficult, so, right. right? Like, why the hell is Rasputin's involvement the critical piece and we can't we can't accomplish this without
1: him? Excellent I mean, question. It's and just if Nightcrawler was totally here, BS. wasn't the whole plan at the end of Uncanny Spider-Man that, hey, hey, Mom, hey, Mystique, if we're going to go after Orcus, you and me are going to get back together and team up. That was where we left things. So Mystique should be part of this, too. And if Mystique's there, then... Uh, what's his name warlock should also be involved because he was with her but yeah all these all these cool things that were set up are just dropped
0: it's just i felt like you know house of x powers of x was just a very smartly written comic and it just feels very stupid that's partially what makes me angry about all this it it feels like all the smart things have
1: been intentionally drained away which is i i worry that this is setting us up for the next era of x-men to be kind of back to no ideas basics and i'm afraid about that that's that's for problems for six months from now uh so kitty here is is still using the gates which i hope we find out sometime about what the hell's up with her why she can use these gates that are not supposed to be functional anymore we get an editorial footnote directing us to two issues of iron man that haven't come out yet which is weird Uh, and then in the very very last scene out of nowhere, we see that Polaris has made her way out to nowhere. That's nowhere with a K, the dead celestial head floating out beyond Jupiter. And she is recruiting Brew and the Brood to, quote, go to war with her, presumably against Orcus. Which this comes, I mean, we saw Brew and the Brood were set up on nowhere. Oh, I don't know. It was before the gala. Yeah, it must have been before the gala. So we knew they were out there. But this is a weird piece to suddenly remember, don't you think? I mean, the, again, the mutants. If they're going to bring the brood in on their side, they're not going to look like the good guys to bring in this ravenous alien race on the hell. Yes, out.
0: yes. Also, just look at Cyclops, right? He wants to exterminate their entire race. He would not be. That's sort of what did the schism between him and Gene for a bit, right? That he was like, the brood are the most horrible things, biggest threat to the galaxy. They should not exist. They're just parasites. Is he going to be happy that they're, like, brought here?
1: That could actually be an interesting plot point, right, is Cyclops' opinion of this, but it doesn't it doesn't feel like that's being set up. Maybe it is. Maybe that could be a, a cool thing to talk about. What
0: I could imagine happening is they come here, you know, Brew gets killed, and then now they're back to <laughs> being the parasites that take over and mass-produce and consume a planet, right? We had that in the Sins of Sinister timeline, right? We sure did, yeah. So, Yeah. I don't think this is going to go well. I would not. This would not be my first plan here. But here we go.
1: So, yeah, that's that's the book. And uh, I think, yeah.
0: Here's something to make you more
1: angry. <laughs> oh, good. That's what I need.
0: <laughs> Hit me. Uh, Jeremy White literally in the interview says, yeah, we didn't think we were going to end this issue with Polaris um, getting the brood, but we had to do something to show fans that the uh, X-Men vote mattered. And since... Oof. Flaris was one of the people that got voted to be on the X Men team. We had to shove her into the story to make hmm. it look important. And I was like, "Don't write that in your interview." <laughs> You're no, just making I mean, the, the cliffhanger seem even more arbitrary, right? They're like, "We didn't know how to fit this in. We just kind of did it." The neat thing
1: about the that election was, hey, it doesn't matter because Orcus was behind things the whole time, and Orcus just undoes it all. And the Muins thought they were on top of the world, but they get knocked down, and this whole silly election thing didn't really matter. That was kind of cool. That page turn, one of my favorite page turns in X comics for a long time. And Polaris, I mean, Polaris, last time we saw her, it's been a long time. I think the last time we saw her was in that issue where uh, the the Iraqi guy inside the alligator suit was, was running around up on the casino. And there was one quick scene where she, was, she wasn't going to come to the gala because she was really sad about Magneto being dead. Yeah, she's that was the last up, time right? we saw her. So again, where does how do we get from there to here? She got over her no
0: alcoholism <laughs> or it took her to this place. She's still drunken.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was her whole thing for the the first year of of Krakoan era. She was a drunk all the time everyone was so yeah that's that's the book uh really disappointing the characters all seem like super generic versions of themselves they're not there's no connections made to all the cool stuff that's been happening to them we don't know how they came together we don't know any of the relationships between them or who's in charge or who's not happy with things just a disappointment and art wise it's not even my favorite lucas wernick stuff ever i mean cyclops especially i said i don't like the way he looks uh Wernick seems to be leaning more into the cartoony side of things than we usually see from him, probably because this issue has way more action and fighting than he usually gets to draw in Immortal, which was you know a very talky kind of a book. I think the Polaris space scene at the end looks pretty cool, visually those are the best looking pages in the book, even though plot wise they didn't do much for me, but they look cool he draws he draws a nice outer space scene, so score I'm just gonna have to give this a plain old five out of ten. this is one of the most disappointing X books we've had in a long, long time. I mean, it's not the worst book we've read. I mean, go back to our coverage of some of the mini series, but you know, a mini series crashing and d- being nothing is one thing. Fall of the House of X, number one, being this thuddingly dull, is a big swing and a miss. So, where are you at, Ruben? Similar?
0: Yeah, I'm in the similar ballpark. I think I'm slightly higher. Um, positive, Peter. Here, I'm gonna <laughs> give it a five eight. <laughs> Ooh. But reach it, for the stars, yeah, yeah. A lot of it was just because I was like, Is this as bad as Miss Marvel? No, I mean, it was a what three page dream sequence, not, <laughs> not like
1: 20 page dream sequence, <laughs> shorter dream sequence. Okay, yeah, so I got,
0: I got some points for that. And you know, even though they're half handedly handling a lot of the plot threads that we um read about the last few months, they at least are being referenced, right? So it feels like it's supposed to be them. important, yeah, just. It just doesn't seem like they understand what was going on. Uh and I to your point, like, what's the big idea in this book? Doesn't seem to be any. Um, I don't even really know like what defeating Orcus would mean, right? They're an organization. What well, you you beat the five guys that run it, but I don't know. It, an organization should be decentralized, right? There should be the next in line that could take And up Maybe the that's mantle. something
1: going on with uh Tony Stark and his fleet of Mysterium warships? But that only got a very quick throwaway reference and a footnote in this issue. And if that's going to be the big cavalry to win the day, that should be set up more in the first issue of the actual miniseries. But I don't
0: know what the enough. big wow moment is. I don't. I don't know anything about this. I'm really hoping this week's powers or rise of the powers of X has right. something that like does get me on board because that. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just not. Uh, yeah, I hope so, so too,
1: Kieran Gillen. You're our only hope, and uh, yeah, I, I have I have faith in him. He's written. A lot of the best stuff we've read since, you know, since Hickman left with between you know, starting in Eternals and running through Immortal and lots of good stuff. So,
0: Is he writing Rise of the Powers? Yes. Oh, okay. I'm suddenly more optimistic. I think prediction here, we're going to suddenly see why he's the better X-Men writer than <laughs> Duggan. And I like Jerry Duggan. A lot of his stuff, like his Guardian stuff was really good. So... He has the ability to be a good writer. I'm sort of surprised at how bad this is, but we've seen some up and down stuff with him.
1: Even yeah, we he's recently. kind of spun his wheels on X-Men for a while. Then X-Men got better towards the end. Uh, his Iron Man is probably the the best uh, Jerry Duggan stuff I've read. That was surprisingly like really really good. So we've enjoyed that. We know he can do good stuff. I just wonder what he was trying to accomplish in this issue and and why it doesn't feel it doesn't feel as big as something like this should. Okay, that's that's enough. A uh, beaten up on this issue. Uh, Maybe a little more positive. Uh Ruben, you're gonna get us started talking about uh the other Hickman, the non ultimate Hickman project, which is Gods, and uh issues number two and three have come out since last we chatted. So why don't you get us started on yeah.
0: that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this will be a question. I know you're not such a huge fan of this one too. I'm gonna be upset at you if you give it a five, but uh these are slower issues, right? Um, yeah,
1: they're setting up this these new characters. I thought this was gonna be more focused on, you know, our you know, the the relationship between uh what what's his name? I don't even remember our, our main character's name. Wyn Win and Iko I thought were going to be a big part of things and Win and uh his his uh Dimitri the science boy. I thought those were gonna be the big three characters and it seems to be going out more broadly from there very quickly.
0: Yeah, I think it's more of an environment story than a character driven story. And that seems to be what Hickman loves to do. And you got to remember this gods was supposed to be his like, you know, other big Marvel direction setting project. So, you know, House and Powers was like, hey, I'm getting me the like the playbook for an interesting few years of like mutant stories. And then this was supposed to be like the playbook for the interesting mystical characters
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and developments. If you follow any of his indie stuff, he almost seems to like the world building more than the actual story writing, and I can probably take the word "almost" out of that sentence. So I guess maybe you're right. Maybe that's just what's going on here. He's 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 building out the world in a different direction.
0: Yeah, so I think that's what's going on here. And then also, I'd say um, we are. I, I still do think that Win and Win Dimitri, and then now Iiko and this new character uh, Mia are going to be kind of the opposing you know twosomes. And we get like a you know, color – I just kind of picked up on this on the second read-through as you kind of get like a color-coding match, right? So you've got Win in his red outfit paired with Dimitri in his white outfit. Now we've got Ico in her white outfit paired with this new yeah, character, that's, Mia, that's true. In her costume.
1: I think my mind I, – I keep expecting more of a split between magic things and science things. And it seems to be more mixed. Like I thought uh, Mia was being recruited to be one of the centivar, one of the sciencey, sciencey types.
0: But she's not. She's – She's the opposite, right? So we've got Wynne, who's being observed by the novice Centivar, and then we've got Mia, who's the novice magician, being observed by like the veteran Centivar. So it's just the opposites. In those because things. we know
1: that the Centivars they lost a lot of people, I guess, in that uh, the Cubis Corps attack that we saw in issue number one. So they need to replenish their their ranks. And I thought that's what Mia was being recruited for, but she's a magician too. Attack. But it's
0: different, yeah. So let me let me get into the specifics here, and we can Go we can talk through this. So opening scene, like you said, we kind of start with the uh, the centum, which is the science based hundred team hanging out at their house of rank and numbers.
1: Right, and these are the only three remaining prime numbers left. Prime numbers are a big thing. It's numbers two, ninety seven, and uh, what's that guy nineteen or 19, something? Nineteen, yeah.
0: Yeah, so they're basically, like, chatting. They're saying, like, you know, what are we going to do? we got to replenish our ranks. We're, like, down a ton. I didn't really get this first scene, but, like, as I looked at it, all they're basically standing around a bunch of, the like, coffins with all the people that died. So I guess you could count how many that is.
1: They they remind me of, like, Spock's coffin from Star Trek, right? It looks like it's about to be launched into space. And so 2
0: basically says, hey, I've been talking to our god. And our god says we need to call in some favors that we've got part of the compact, you know, where they basically entered into an agreement with Wynn, Wynn's God to like stop fighting each other. So I'm kind of curious what that is, right? Like it sounds like he's saying we need to call in some boons that they owe us. And then the 19 and and Iko basically start talking trash about their God and
1: Right, prov- it basically the god to manifest
0: yeah so the god manifests in number two like seems to like painfully take over his brain and say like hey idiots like i did tell him this um but weirdly this is the part i don't exactly get it seems so he was talking about calling in boons with with the uh, with wind right his god which then the and and they were in the contrasting opinion from iko was like we just need to you know, speed up the recruitment process and get a bunch of news people into the centum right as fast as possible, even if that upsets you know our opposing force. I thought those seemed like different ideas, right? like two and her seemed at odds as to like what we need to do, and then the God comes in, and then the god's like, "Hey, you need to just build out your force as quickly as possible." That's what yeah, I told you I don't to really do.
1: understand the concept of the science god either'cause i again. Again, my my brain wants it probably to be even neater and more in boxes. Boxes being a big thing than Hickman does. Where this they don't feel as sciency as I would expect the sciency types to be. Which maybe maybe the the concept isn't quite science. It's a little bit different, and I'm not quite getting what Hickman's going for here. Yeah,
0: but in anyway, you know God manifests and then disappears, and like it was like oh sorry about that. We were just provoking it to make sure that you weren't. Trying to direct us through your own personal agenda and that actually you were convening with the God and sharing its perspective. But like I said, I, I kind of felt like what his idea was and what the God actually says when it does manifest were at odds. So I'm like, am I picking up on something that he was kind of just pushing his own agenda and they don't bother to tell him because you know they don't necessarily trust each other, which I think that's a like slightly interesting dynamic as mm-hmm. you kind of see here that the sentum, yes, they all work together, but they all seem to be skeptical of each other. And, you know, that at least aligns with the whole idea of, like, um, scientists being, you know, skeptics and questioning every little thing and needing proof, right? Fair enough. Kind of, It gives me a little bit of character building for these. It's a lot of pages. Um, The net of it is they're going to recruit more people (laughs) for their group.
1: And then we pop over to the magic types over at the Sanctum Sanctorum, and they're trying to figure out what Cubist core was up to and who was behind him, because we know he had somebody pushing him. And I did really like this bit between Dimitri and Doctor Strange. Yeah, this where we was know, good. This was my, my favorite part, probably of these two issues, is Dimitri, we know he's been leaving these little, I don't know, sensors or cameras or these little science squares with a red dot on them. He's been just popping them everywhere he goes. And he tries to put one up in the sanctum sanctorum, and Doctor Strange is like, uh, yeah, 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 no, don't, don't do it. I see what you're doing. It's kind of cool. I get it. But not in my pad.
0: <laughs> another thing I say is really interesting here is we we've seen that these things are molecularly bonded to walls, right? And nobody seems to know how to get them off. Like they're perma-attached and Doctor Strange just walks oh. up and rips it off. No biggie. Good point. Excellent So point, like, yeah. that's pretty badass, Doctor Strange. <laughs> but yeah, and this is another bit that I like. So, you know, we've got a bunch of magic users. I guess these are the ones that were, you know, part of the battle against Cubist Core. And, you know, it's Clea and Dr. Voodoo and uh, is there somebody else. Wong. Uh, Wong. They're all there. And they're, you know, it seems like they've got Cubiscord in some sort of timeout in another dimension. They're like, okay, we got to figure out what he was up to. So let's bring him out and see what's going on. So they bust him out of this portal and he falls into the Sanctum Sanctorum.
1: And- he had those growths on his face last time we saw him. And those have been like, like barnacles are chipped off. So that's kind of crazy.
0: Yeah. And so they talk about how basically... You know, he read that book, right? That's how they defeated him. There, he read some book that takes he knowledge Yeah. his mind. He, yeah. yeah, kind of like made him basic at this point. And the barnacles are gone. And if you look at his face, this is me reading into this maybe a bit more, but um, he's got like half his face is black and half his face is white. And the, like you said, the barnacle things are gone. And then all the other magic users kind of like look at, he, he basically he says some cryptic stuff, right?
1: All about boxes. Boxes are yeah. a very big thing, which we even saw from the previews before the series even started. Boxes were going to yeah. be big.
0: Yeah. And then all the all the magic users, clea's is like, uh, I'm out of here. I don't want any part of this. I'm not going to follow along with this. Um, Wong says he doesn't want to die. And then Dr. Voodoo says, like, I can't tell you about my allegiances, but there's a conflict of interest here where I can't actually participate in this because <laughs> of something. Right? Yeah, magician,
1: magicians don't like team up very well. There's you know, like like cats. They don't quite get along and they yeah. kinda of come together when they have to, but they're not gonna be a league of magician users all pulling together to solve this problem. They're they're yeah. they're individualists.
0: But they it, i mean, they sort of seem to be aligned with this idea of, hey, we're gonna investigate and see what's going on, and then they see him and then they bounce out and they so it's like that's kind of weird, right? But it gets but,
1: left to win and strange to deal with. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. They decided like they are gonna follow it along. And but I'm thinking, so eventually they realized that he is an agent of the in-betweener. And I didn't know who that was at all, right? Like when I, that was a big name drop and I'm like, okay, right. that doesn't mean much to me. But I did a little wiki research. He seems like a big deal. And then I looked at a picture of him. He actually has like this black and white face. He's got that black split. and white
1: color scheme. It does yeah. match up with what Cuba's core looked like in that little picture. So, That's a good point.
0: Yeah, so I think this is maybe makes a little more sense. I think these magic users must know that and they must be like, oh, shit, that guy's a big deal and a threat that we can't like we're we're strong but we're not that strong so i think it makes a little more sense why these people split and then with voodoo talking about his allegiances so in betweeners like an agent of the lord of order and the lord of chaos it's kind of like
1: yeah it's again it's these big dichotomies that uh, hickman likes to work with so just like we have the magicy side and the science side and kind of trying to work out things between them the in-betweener is literally in between order and chaos to kind of try to keep those those forces from you know ripping each other apart and he's also the person who he didn't create uh, Adam Warlock but he he messed around with Adam Warlock that created that split in him uh, with his his big evil side too so he's he's done some big things in the universe but he's not brought out much because again he's one of these almost more than a character he's like a cosmic force. Which again is what Hickman's trying to get out here.
0: Yeah. So I was thinking maybe, maybe Vud is aligned with either the Lord of Order or the Lord of Chaos. But regardless, I mean, once you're talking about cosmic beings, I could understand like a long not wanting to <laughs> go up and confront him because what his magic is not at that level. And also, interestingly, you know, when both Win and Strange, and I continue to like their dynamic, right, of Win being kind of like the one guy who can talk trash to mm-hmm. Doctor Strange, like, treat Doctor Strange <laughs> like he's a cool the junior. dynamic, yeah. Yeah.
1: They, they, they look similar, which might be a coincidence. I remember when we first saw the art from Gods, a lot of people thought that we were just seeing, like, a younger Doctor Strange or something, and it turned out to be a new character, which, it, it seemed like there's something going on there. But they're going to continue to pursue this, right? Because that's what they
0: do. And then we have another great little dialogue bit where Dimitri here is like, you know, some friends that you've got, right? He says that to Strange, and then Strange kind of laughs and, and <laughs> kind of says, like, you don't understand the way it works on the magic side, right? Like, we're, we're not like teams, right, that work together towards yeah, like an agenda. It's, like It's every good Dr. Strange
1: dialogue. Ours is a solitary journey, and on this path your eyes cannot be opened by others. Very, very Dr. Strange. I, I like it.
0: So I thought it was pretty sweet that you know, every, you're a man of your own, right? Like, if you're on the magic side, like, your advancement is your own kind of choice it's not like somebody trains you to do it
1: right we, we we see that the science people you know like a research team they you know they want to get together and figure out what to do scientists don't or, or magicians don't work like that i get it
0: yeah yeah so it was interesting so those parts were cool and then we kind of cut to like the last scene where this part i was like it went a little longer than i needed and i didn't understand what the point was so we get introduced to the to, um mia d maria
1: a student at columbia university Mm-hmm. We get this whole cast of her, cast of characters, her friends, which I'm like, do I need to keep track of all these people? I don't think so. I think they're just giving her a place to come from, right? Like she's a regular college student. She takes studying more seriously than all her friends. She's not as wealthy as at least one of her friends. So she has this kind of curiosity that ends up with her being recruited. Again, I thought she being recruited to be a Centavar because she's given this a business card that has numbers on it that turn out to be like card catalog numbers or library numbers. And I thought that being recruited to, you know, again, I thought you'd go to join. Same, the, yeah, no I to join this did join. Yeah. I thought it'd be more complicated, right? You have to go A to B to C to D and follow all the way down. But it turns out, no, you just find the one book. And if you pick up that book, if you can see the book, then then you're in. I guess maybe because i I get I'm thinking she's being recruited to the centvars the no, they've they they've got they've lost so many people they gotta speed up their process you know you, you know, you apply you're in but I don't know what she's being recruited to be and why she's being recruited by this newest or not newest because it was a flashback, but this relatively new member of the Centavar.
0: yeah well, if you take her at, if you take her word as honest, she's not recruiting her at all she's doing is she wants to observe somebody with you know magical powers or magical power development for whatever reason i guess for science purposes and that's basically all that aiko's agenda is is hey i want to i want to observe somebody who's got mystical powers and see how it all works
1: which confused just, me because I'll that whole you. that first scene was her being set up to hey we need to get more scent of ours but that's that's not what Iko is like i can't get out of my head that's what i keep thinking by the way, the scenes are put together that that's what iko should be, but she's not.
0: No, I, no Mia is the Dimitri of Iko. That's what's being set up here. Which I agree I didn't follow that the first time through, but that's what's going on here.
1: And I don't know why Iko needs a Dimitri though, because we know that Well, why does Wynn need a Dimitri? Because he is the sole that is part of the compact. He's the sole representative of the magicy side, and as part of the compact, he needs to have somebody from the sciencey side kind of shadow him and hang out. I don't think there was part of the compact that says Iko needs that as well. We'll see. This is issue two.
0: So anyways, yeah, so she gets this this note card and I guess Mia is struggling in her ordinary life, not feeling comfortable, and eventually she goes back to study at the library and she realizes it's a call number, and so she goes there and she sees this book. And she starts pulling it out and then Iko's like there again and they have this conversation where they're like, "Oh, you can actually see the book," and uh, Mia's like, "Yeah, it's obviously it's right here. No yeah, big deal." Yeah, it's the
1: right. it's the you know the whole heroic story, the call to adventure. You know, do you want to join this crazy, crazy world and learn all sorts of neat stuff, or do you want to go back to your normal, mundane living? And of course, you know, she she physically leaves her college book back behind, and uh, and, and, I, and I goes go, basically
0: says, "You know, hey, I can't actually see the book." You know. I'm a science person on the other side. I get setting
1: up there different, which is interesting. Yeah.
0: And so she pulls the book out and opens a portal into the was it library of worlds. Yes. They walk through this world, she's not totally excited about, you know, what she's seeing. She's like, It's all interesting, but like I'm just a college student. I don't need to be part of this. And you see some weird stuff in here, like you see a bunch of aim people in here, like the yellow
1: B suits and like, why are they in here? But Okay. Yeah, we see like some regular AIM people, and we also see one AIM person wearing a black outfit. Is that a, a is that a, a thing in AIM that the black outfit means something? I'm not yeah, up on I'm my not, my AIM uniforms, I guess. Yeah,
0: not an AIM expert, but yeah, so it's kind of interesting. And then it's a lot of pages of that where she's just really struggling with like, do you want to be part of this world? And initially, you know, Mia kind of leaves leaves this and. Yeah, I guess she's just thinking about, thinking about, thinking about it. And then she finally has this conversation about, well, I guess just say this. Aiko kind of gives her this speech where she's basically like, you know, you can try as hard as you want in this world, but you're not really part of this world. And at some point, you're going to burn out and, you know, not be happy. Or I can show you how to, like, pursue adventure in your own way. Like, basically, like, do the thing that you're good at, because it'll make you feel more fulfilled than trying to fit in with somebody else's world. And their world's not your world. She does she doesn't really buy that, but then she has this conversation with like a rich girl that she, I guess, either is a roommate with or something. And that woman talks about how she's just gonna take care of her, you know, don't don't worry about studying so hard because if you don't, you know, get the best grades and you don't succeed, like I'm rich. Yeah, and I'll I'll, find I'll a be your I'll be you. your safety net. Yeah. yeah. so I think she likes she doesn't like the idea of somebody taking care of her. She wants to do this, you know, on her own. She wants to be a self made person. And that's sort of the you know, the straw that breaks the Campbell's back. So she goes back and kind of has the conversation with Iko. And that's where she kind of ditches the backpack, like you said, and goes off into the. Yeah, world so of this is very much stuff.
1: a Mia issue. And I don't know that I'm that interested in Mia yet. You know, I they spent all this time getting me super interested in, you know, like I said, Dimitri and Iko and Win, And now Mia just seems kind of, why do I. She seems like the kind of character who would be your protagonist and issue one to bring you into the strange world. We're already neck deep in the strange world. I don't know why I need another entry so I'm hoping she's kind of cool, but yeah, what do we Why do we I just think it's a
0: parallel and let me say the very last there's one last scene that we didn't cover, which is basically the strange and uh when, like basically let um Cuba's core back to kind of like basically follow where he goes and he goes into this like warehouse and there's a cube in there with a creepy like... Creepy box, yeah. Yeah, a creepy box with like an hourglass kind of thing on it with, you know, alternating colors
1: and black and white the, colors. The black and white color scheme, right. Yeah.
0: And he crawls back into it. Well, it, they basically like tell Cubist like, hey, you're being manipulated by something, right? And then he goes into the the box and he's kind of questioning like, am I being manipulated? And there's like a creepy voice in there. It's like, that's impossible, right? <laughs> it's,
1: yeah, it's, it's a whole again, like just as was hinted at in the preview pages, you know, he's inside his box. The box is your home. I want to be in the box. It's, it feels almost like a, a, a twin peaksy David Lynch kind of a thing where our, you know, what is our world? What do we want it to be? Do we want to know about the strange thing outside? Do we want to be comfortable in our, our little constrained area, which is a, an interesting, creepy idea. And I am curious where that goes.
0: Yeah. super creepy. And the imagery is just, just creepy to me. Like I'm, Kind of claustrophobic so like yeah. Seeing that that does seem like one of the main
1: ideas it. that hickman has here is the idea of this creepy box that seems to be animating a lot of things and and i want to see where that, that goes so that is issue number two and why don't we why don't we call it here and uh you know save issue number three maybe we'll talk about that at the end of next week because we don't have yeah, that's great a whole lot of books next yep. time either so uh I, you showed me some some cooler things in this book i, I like the the parallelism between you know Aiko gets her own little magic-y sidekick. I, I like that parallelism. That's kind of cool. And this book still has a lot of promise to me. This particular issue didn't deliver so much, but I'm still super, super curious where it goes. And I, I trust that Hickman has somewhere he wants to take me. I, ju- I just hope the path there is is worth the travel. So yeah, overall, mostly out of hope for the future, I'd give this book a, a seven and a half out of 10. Sure. Oh, Certainly nice. way, way better than uh, nice than uh, compared, Coke, Austin, Yeah, right.
0: compared to fall. That's higher than I would rate it. I'd just give it a plain old seven. But okay, um, I, I agree with you. When I first read this, I was like, "This is really underwhelming." And a lot of the stuff I started to notice is after having read the third issue.
1: That is a, a Hickman thing. Is I do like Hickman books better on reread. Often they're very dense, and you got to go back and figure out what was really going on. So I'm hoping that when we get a few more books in, issues in, I'll come back and reread these and go, "Oh, okay, I see what he was doing." Uh, let's look ahead to next week, where we have oh. Kieran Gillen, please, please give us something exciting to talk about. It is Rise of the Powers <laughs> of X number one. I have yes. such high hope for this book. It's going to be really and tough Gillen to meet my trust. hopes for this book, but it's <laughs> I hope so. Uh we also have Wolverine number 41, which starts that Sabretooth War arc co-written uh with Ben Percy and Victor Laval. So I'm more curious than hopeful about that one. Well, you know, I haven't we haven't loved Wolverine lately. We weren't crazy about the whole saber tooth stuff, but maybe, maybe they come together and, and make something pretty cool.
0: It's gonna be super awkward if he's now like super distrustful of Colossus. If there's like a scene that's in there about that, I'm gonna be like,
1: come on. Yeah, like I'm it. curious how much it's going to tie into the fall of the House of X. Right? Is it its own completely separate thing, or will there be references to the larger world? I don't know. Next week is also Ultimate Spider-Man number one uh, by Hickman, which I expect Jim will be talking about on the main Marvel podcast, but I'm certainly give that a read. And uh, so, yeah, when we come back, we'll talk about definitely Rise and Wolverine, and maybe we'll throw in a little Gods number three as well. Uh, Sound like a plan, Ruben? That sounds good. And we will see you all in a week. Bye-bye.